Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Man, well, good, good to be with you. We are uh, in the middle of a sermon series. I'm going to jump right in today. Looking forward to talking about this topic. Uh, but if you are never, never been here before, uh, we're calling this sermon series A-OK. Uh, A-OK, and we're talking about the topic of hope. How you can be okay when you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And here's the thing about hope. It's not like a, oh, I hope so, like your fingers crossed. Legitimate, you can, legitimately, you can build your life on the truth of God's word, and you can hope because God said so. So what we did is we, uh, we built a foundation the first week, and then I gave you four A's. Remember those? I said, here's the four A's that will make you be okay in any situation that you're in. And so first one is God is your adopter. Um, next week, we're going to take a look at how God is our advocate, our advocate. The last week, we're going to take a look at how God fights our battles for us. He'll, he's our ally. And today, I want to talk to you on the topic of uh, God being the author of, of your life. So he, here's a great question to make you think. How many of you have ever been through something um, that you experienced that was awful, that you didn't fully understand, that you still don't understand to this day? Anybody? Come on. If you live life, you've been through something like that. Family-related, um, health-related, um, finance-related, career-related, kid-related. Like there's, there's a situation in your life that you don't understand. Okay, I wish I could tell you with all those situations, hey, here's the answer. Here's how you're going to interpret it. Here's how you define it. Here's how you see it. Okay, move forward. That's, I can't do that. The Bible says we know in part right now. There's things that you'll experience on this side of eternity that you just won't understand fully. But there's other things that you will. Like, uh, let, me, let me ask you another question. How many of you have gone through something? You've been following Christ long enough now. You've gone through something in your life, maybe before you met Christ or even after you met Christ, which by the way, that's a surprise to some people because when you're immature in your faith, here's what you think. I started following God, so now everything will be easier. That is an American Christianity. If you want easy, do not involve Jesus into your life. He'll give you peace. He'll give you joy. He will rarely be about your happiness because happiness is fleeting. How many of you have ever been through something? You've been following God long enough, either before you met Jesus or even in the middle of it, you've gone through something and you've now come out the other side of it. And just for encouragement for some people in this place, you've been through something and now you recognize, oh, that's why God took me through that to get me here. Anybody? Put your hand up. Okay. If you're going through, keep your hand up. Come on. This is Pentecostal church. And so if you're going through something right now, you have all those questions, fears. I just want you to look around all over the can all Montgomeryville here. Just look around. Okay. Be encouraged. All right? You are not surrounded. Okay, put your hands back down. And so you're not surrounded by people who've had perfect lives. We don't follow God because he's worked out everything perfectly for our favor. The Bible says that he's for our good. Ultimately for his glory. So we've all been through stuff. I can tell you as, as a pastor, this is one of the, these ones. If you can get this, you will go to a deep level of trust and when you get this mature trust in God, it changes your life, changes how you face things. So I want to talk to you on the importance of understanding if you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, not only have you been adopted into the family of God, but scripturally, God is the author of your life. Watch what it says in Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This, I love this picture. If you're a follower of Christ and you're real, there's times you want to give up. Anybody? Okay, I'm a pastor. I want to quit weekly. <laughs> I, I'm, you think I'm playing. I'm just warning you, if I don't show up on Sunday, I told you. Right? I want to I quit weekly. I want to move weekly. I want to do something different. We, like it's, it's a real struggle, right? And here's what I do when I'm, when I'm trying to quit, right? Because you can think about quitting as long as you're not a quitter. 
right? And so when I'm trying to quit, I'll close my eyes and I envision, and the Bible says to envision a great cloud of witnesses. That means those that have died in their faith and are with Jesus right now, looking down on reality, cheering on those of us who are currently here. Right? So some of you, somebody's died and like, they got wings. Like that's, that's not in the Bible, right? They don't, they don't turn into an angel when you die, a little chubby cherub, right? And so, right? Right? The Bible says that if you know Christ, you're with Jesus. And it says you literally were being cheered on by a great cloud of witnesses. So if you have a family member that's gone before you, so I think of my pappy. I think of my uncle, my uncle uh, um, Terry that died from brain cancer but was so strong in his faith. And at his funeral, people talked about the impact that he made even, even in the midst of his cancer. And now he's fully healed with Jesus and he's telling me, finish strong. Right, like you know, you when you're when you're a runner, and I don't know this because I'm not a runner, and so, and I won't ever. Like Parker was like, "You want to run with me?" I'm like, "No, right? No, I don't want to run with you ever. Don't ask me ever again, right?" And so, but when you're a runner, you're running by and you grab water from somebody. That's what it's like. It's like you're 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 getting refreshed spiritually. You're being so. So next time you want to quit, I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about those who have gone before you, telling you got what it takes. You, you can finish what, what God started, right? And so that's just side note for you, side note for you. And so the Bible says to fix your eyes on Jesus. Here's the words that, that it uses in my, my Bible, the NIV. Uh, the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. Now, King James Version, which is the old, older school version, which some of you have heard, it says it like this, and I like how it says it better, the, the words it describes. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. I started studying that word author. It actually, author comes from the, the Latin word, and I'm not, probably not going to say it right, uh, but this is how it looks like it should be said, so I'm going to say it like this. Authoritas. Authoritas. Authoritas is the, is, the, is the word not only we get author from, but it's also the word we get authority from. So when the Bible says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith, what it's actually saying is through Jesus, you can trust that God is your creator who holds all influence, all power, and all command in and over all of your life. I want to read to you again. He's the author, which means he has the authority in your life, in your story, to uh, hold all influence, all power, and all control in and over your lives. And so I want to show you this today um, through going back in the Bible, in the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms. And I want to read Psalms 139 to you. I want to give you a little background of the, of the story. Because sometimes when you read a, a passage, it's beneficial to know what the author was going through. It's beneficial to understand that. And so I want you to see this in Scripture. Because sometimes you just read through and you don't know the context and you don't know the author. And so you miss the significance of, of what it's saying. So let me just explain to you what, what's being done. So this guy who's writing it, his name is David. He's actually the king. King David. Uh, most theologians believe he's older in life and he's having these thoughts reflecting on the life that he's lived. And so when you hear king, right, oftentimes you judge somebody quickly. Man, he must have had a great life. He's the king. You ever do that with somebody? He grew up the, the son of that person. They must have had a great life. His parents did this. They must have had a great life. He, what an opportunity. He went to this school. They, they did this. What a great life that they had. And so you can read this passage and not do the work of King David, right, and go, of course he's writing this because his life has been perfect. So what I want to do is I want to paint you a 5,000-foot image uh, view of what his actual life was like, okay? So David was born the youngest, the youngest. He was the youngest son of a father named Jesse. Now, we don't know anything about David's mother. Um, a lot of commentary that I've read uh, believe that David's mother passed away in childbirth. We don't know much about her. That's what, like, we, don't, we don't know her name. We don't know her history. Some people believe that she passed away in childbirth, and Jesse, his father, didn't really want David as a son. Like He didn't want any more kids. So can you imagine what that's like when you're born into a family where you know you were not wanted. Some of you, you were celebrated when you came into this world. 
Some of you were cried over. Some of you they had a photographer there to take pictures. Some of you got a, uh, not only did you get a, 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 a doctor, you got a midwife and a doula. You know what I'm talking about? And so like the entire, the entire community was there. You came out, I was like, oh, right? Right? The paper came, the Boytown Times was there, documenting Stephen Christopher to Frank, right? And so like, some of you, we're born into a, to a, to a situation where your dad wasn't even around, your mom was, was addicted to heroin. And when you came into the world, they actually had to put you in a, a, an incubator where you could detox. Like there was, no, there was nobody, there was no papers there, there was no excitement there, there was no... So, so, so we think David, King David, but the, the truth is, he came into the world quite possibly, and we'll do some, some, some studying to show you this in a second, he came into a situation where he, he's not wanted. He, uh, he spends a lot of his early childhood alone. He was, his job was to be a shepherd, and so he would go out into the wilderness, and he would take care of his father's sheep because nobody else wanted that job, and he was the youngest. He had to do it. He was by himself. He was so lonely, he learned how to play the harp. I mean, you got to be real lonely to learn how to play the harp, right? He became an expert with the slingshot. He was kind of a loner. He was very in touch with his emotional side. He, a lot of people think he wrote a lot of his psalms while he was a shepherd still, which is why he knows so much about it. Like he, he spent a lot of his early years alone. He spent a lot of his early years with deep emotional wounds. Then his life kind of changes, right? Because this is how life gets sometimes. You're, like, you're, you're, you're really in a, a deep, dark spot, and then all of a sudden you're up tall. And so the prophet Samuel shows up to his house and says, hey, Jesse, one of your boys is the next king, and it just so happened to be David. So he anoints David with, with oil. A few, few chapters later, David's in the, in, on the battlefield. Nobody wants to fight Goliath. And David goes out and fights Goliath with a slingshot, and God uses him in that moment. The, the, the rock flies at the exact trajectory it's supposed to fly at, hits Goliath, he dies. He goes over and chops uh, Goliath's head off, becomes an instant viral sensation. He's way up here now. People love him, but how many of you know sometimes when everybody loves you, that's the beginning of an awful time in your life. Everybody loves him and is plotting him except for the king Saul. He gets irritated at him, tries to kill him. David's playing that harp one day for Saul, soothing the demons in Saul's head, and Saul takes a spear and tries to kill him in his midst. He spends a lot of the next part of his life hiding in caves, isolated again. Eventually, he becomes king. You can see this up and down thing, up and down thing, up and down. He's going. He has a wife named Mikel. You know, stuff's going well for him. He's back. He's, he's the king. Um, his army's winning. He's, he's built this amazing friendship called the Mighty Men. They got shirts made. Like, they, they're a gang, right? They're the Mighty Men, right? What's that? What, West Side Story, right? And so, right, work with me. And so... You gotta be fast, right? And so, and so he, he starts this, and then it's time to go to battle, but he's kind of forgotten where he's come from. And so the Bible says that when king should be away, he stays home. He goes up on, on the roof one night to think, right? Sees this woman in a bath. Her name's Bathsheba. I think that's ironic. And so the Bible says he likes her. And here's the thing about it. It's not like he didn't know her. It was one of his best friends, Jariah, who was part of the mighty men, who was off fighting his battle. That was his wife. He knew she was going to be up there. He goes down. He calls her up. They have sex. And uh, she gets pregnant. He tries to hide the whole thing by covering it up, by having Uriah killed, his best friend. God finds out, right? He knows, sees everything. The prophet comes to David and says, hey, God knows what you did. And, you know, you're just kind of, it's going to be bad for you. The baby that you're going to have is going to pass away. And then he, the baby passes away, goes to the morning of that, gets Bathsheba pregnant again. They have, they have Solomon, which turns out to be the smartest guy who would ever live. You talk about this, right? The truth is David continues to struggle with his, with his, uh, his identity. He still has a deep father wound. He never can get his faithfulness to his wives figured out. He continues to struggle in, with outside affairs. His family suffers. His sons he passes on that curse to his sons. His life is filled with ups and downs. And in all of that, the Bible says this, that David is a man after God's own heart. 
Like it, it's almost mind-blowing. And it's here as an older man. He's been through all those, those moments. And I, I, ups and downs, highs and lows, difficulties, where he writes Psalms 139. And I think it's wisdom, and I think it's trust, and I think it's a deep understanding. And here's what he says. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know, when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before words on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful, too lofty for me to attain. Then he goes into the, the, his life. He goes, where, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand holds me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become right night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. He says, man, let me talk to you about my worst moments, the darkest moments of my life, and somehow, somehow God was still there. And then he goes all the way back to the beginning. He goes, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I think some more kids need to know this. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Where I count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. I think you see some really important perceptions. You know, perceptions are everything. How you perceive something is everything. In fact, uh, let, me, let me show you how you can perceive something different. Let me, can you just put that, that, that number up there on the screen for me, Kevin? And so, okay, here, here's a, here's a, this, is a, this is not a trick. This is just, I want to show you something. How many of you see, how many of you see, let's see. How many of you see a six up here? A six? Anybody see a six? Put your hand out high. Six? Six? How many of you see a nine? How many of you want the people to know who see a six that they're wrong? <laughs> right? Some of you, you know how competitive we get. The truth is, it's not Uno card, right? You know how people try to cheat in Uno all the time, right? And so there's no line under, under it, right? So it's a six and a nine. The font looks the same, it's just how you perceive it. Let me ask you something else. I brought this glass of water up. Okay. So is this glass, how many of you say it's half full? Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know who's negative in here, like, right? How many of you say half empty? Half empty, half empty, half empty, right? Half, nobody, half empty? Actually, half empty is negative, people. I messed that up. So now you're negative. You lost. And so you're like, well, I want to be on the right side. And so, right? There's really no right answer. Here's what I do know, though. If I went to Starbucks and I ordered a, I mean, what, 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 is, the, what is the biggest one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that they don't say extra large makes me want to go to Dunkin' Donuts. I'm just saying. It's America, bro. Like, this is getting too cute, right? If I... If I went to Starbucks and I got this cup, cup filled, right, and they said, here's your drink, I would go back in there and I would say, what, this is half empty. I would go, oh, that's so nice that you gave me a, you know, half full glass, right? And so, right? But it's still, it's your perception and that's how you perceive things. The question is not, you know, did you have a bad family? Did you, have you experienced pain? Were you, were you not molested? I mean, let's just get real honest in here. Have you or have you not struggled with addiction? Um, do you or do you not struggle with secret sins? Have you not faced things in your family? Have, like the question is not, okay, well, the people that are on this side of that equation, that they don't answer yes to any of them, God loves them and is for them. And the people that are on this side, that the normal people, all of us, man, God's like, the perception of David is really important. He's going through his life. He's going, okay, thinking about my relationship with my dad. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about that. Like you, you can imagine as a young man, the perception was something's wrong with him. 
But now, but now, that, now that he's older and he's seeing God as a heavenly father, that he's starting to have a different perception even of that responsibility he has to that hurt. He has a different perception of his life, of the mistakes that I've made. Because sometimes when you make a mistake, isn't it like, okay, God's probably done with you. And he's saying, even in those moments of my life, my perception is different. And here's, here's the problem. If you don't get a biblical perception of what you're facing, you're going to stereotype things till you're blue in the face. You're going to look at situations and go, okay, God is not in that, and God is in this, and God is not in that. And some of those God is not in that moments, you're going to run from and you're going to miss God is moments. You're going to miss seeing God do the work that he wants to do in and through your life. You're going to miss the goodness of God. You're going to miss the sovereignty of God. You're going to miss your ability to trust God in all those situations. So David is saying, I've wrestled through these moments, but my perception as an older man is different. Here's the, here's the perception, just three things. First one, first one is this. The first perception I think he had that's life-changing is uh, he was patented. I like that word. As soon as I hear the word patent, I think of what? Shark Tank, easy. <laughs> Shark Tank. How many of you watch Shark Tank? I mean, I wasted a decade of my life on Shark Tank. Every time I watch Shark Tank, they always ask people when they brought the invention, they wanted to buy it. They asked, them, do you have a what? You have a patent on this. Yeah, patent's pending. Patent means that you're the creator of something, that you have legal protection over it, that you can control it. You, you can control what they use for it. They can control who sells it. You can control who makes it. The patent is important. The patent is a real, realization that this invention has a creator. It's significant. David is realizing, I have all these things going on in my life, all these struggles, all these issues, but I've been patented. I have a creator that is in control of, of my life. I, I remember for years thinking, okay, I gotta come up with it with something to get rich, right? I got to get on Shark Tank, right? I got to get this patented. It's a lot of work to patent something, though. I, I remember uh, my wife was, was uh, on our third baby, and so we were, we were, we were kind of we veterans of baby stuff. And so on our third baby, we went to, we went to Rehoboth Beach. She was, she was probably seven, eight months pregnant. All of our babies were born in the fall. And so not sure what that means, but they were all born in the fall. So, and, and, and so all born in the fall, September, October. So it's our third son, Harrison. He's going to be born in October. And so we are at the beach. It's probably July. And uh, so Leah's pregnant. And uh, how many have a wife that is very serious about laying, laying out? Nobody. Okay, cool. And so Jersey Shore, right, lies then. And so, and, and so like, you have, you, have, you have, she's very serious about it. I hate laying out, like, but she's very serious about it. And so I remember our third, our third baby, we're at Rehoboth. We're going to the pool. I see you're carrying this, this, this little inner tube, like this on her arm. We're walking to the pool, and I'm like, that? I don't know what that's for, but I don't, I don't know if that's going to work right now, right? Just saying. Right? The kids got, I don't know what's going on with that. And she said, she said I'm going to use this. And I said, for what? And she said, so she said, I'll show you. So we get, to the, we get to the thing. This is no lie. She, and I'm right in the middle of Shark Tank. I'm trying to figure out a way to get rich, right? And so she lays down on her back. She does her little timer, right? And she's laying there. Ding! She flips to the side, flips to the other side. And then she's going to her, to her belly, which as a pregnant woman, you're not, you can't lay on your belly because there's a baby in there. And, but you also need to get tan, right? And so it's priorities. <laughs> and so, right? So she put this little inner tube, this little, this little circular inner tube thing. She put it down and she just, she got her, you could hear right? It just <laughs> said that. Right? You know how it sounded. And she laid there. And I was watching and I was like, this is it. <laughs> she was like, what? I was like, that's, that's Shark Tank material. I was like, you know how many women are pregnant every year in America? She was like, no, how many? I was like, lots. <laughs> Everybody likes to tan. Let's go make this. Let's go do this. And then I went online and looked and to patent something and the FDA approved. And so make sure no babies die. And the result, like, it's a lot of work. So I forgot it. I was like, nah, it's not worth it, right? <laughs> so you can take my idea, but you have to tie 10% back to the church if you get rich. And so, right? And it's the, it's the work. The patent is the work. It's, there's an inventor. That's what he's saying right here. And I love what he describes because sometimes we, we, we have this conceptual view of God where it's like, okay, He's far away from us, right? Was that, that old song in it, in it? Like, 
Like he's out there. I don't, I don't remember who's saying that, right? But he's, God's far away, and like he's he, and, and we have this concept of God. Like he's far. If we're good, he's close. And David's like, man, I've been through all that. And like I, I, I like I'm of the belief that he, that God had, God created me, invented me, patented me. He's in control of my life. And so then he starts to describe it. As, Josh, can you come up here for a second? First service, I didn't ask Josh to do this, and so we're on the third one. So you knew you were gonna come up here, and so. I want to show you this. I want to show you this in, in a physical way, okay? And so Josh is Josh or David or you. I'm God, okay? So it's my illustration. I'm God. And so, right? So I'm God, all right? So I want you to see what he says. I want you to go back to Psalms 139. And so let's just pretend Josh is David, okay? David, man, he, he's, he's messed up a lot. His, his brain's probably filled with a lot of just dark, dark thoughts. His, uh, his eyes have seen things he shouldn't see. He, he's, he's probably felt far from God. He probably felt alone. He's probably felt shame. He's probably felt all those things, right? And so, and uh, when you feel all those things, you tend to want to be far away from somebody, right? So when you, when you feel that, do you come to church or not come to church? A lot of times you don't come to church, which if you don't come to church when you've had a bad week and you feel shame, that tells you a lot about what you understand about the gospel. This is the one place you should be. Right? And so, but what this, that's not human nature. When your kids mess up, they hide. When Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, what did they do? They hide. They were naked. They covered up. Right? Before, before that, the Bible says they were naked. They felt no shame. Right? They, 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 they were. And so you have, you have David. You have Josh. You have me. You have you. We, we're all here. Right? We're all. And so David begins to work his way. I want you to see it. Watch, watch what he says. He says, you search me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. So he, he's describing God's like this with him, which is super awkward, by the way. <laughs> what, what do you want to do when somebody look like Eye contact is so intimate, right? Like it's just, but this is, this is like God's, God is not, he's not insecure at all. Do you, when you look at your kids, do, do you feel bad? Your kids do sometimes, they're like, I don't know what you're doing. You ever, you ever try to stare at your dog? They won't make eye contact with you, right? But for God, he's not, he's right here. He, his eyes are on you. And then he, then he, he gets even more, like, he says, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern, that's a knowing word, my going out and my lying down, you're familiar with all my ways. So he's like, God's like this, and he's like, yo, bro, like this, like, I, I know that struggle. I, I get that issue. I, I've seen, I've seen you there, like, in his eyes, it's, it's, it's. It's life-changing. And then he, he says, your, your ears, before a word is on my tongue, you, you know it completely. You're in tune with me. And then I love this. He says, you hem me in from behind and before you lay your hand upon me. So he's like this. He's looking right at you. And then he's like, hey, something's coming. What, what does the Bible say? He, he, and then b behind you, he's, he's, all, he's protecting you. He's physically connected to you. Like he's, he shouldn't be. Let me just... I'm not one of those new age, like you're a snowflake, like you're this and all that. Like you're just one of a billion. But when you realize you have a creator and you start a relationship with him, for some reason, that's how close he gets to you. Like you are patented. You have an inventor. The Bible says you are God's handiwork created before the foundations of the world to accomplish something good for his kingdom. You're patented. All right, you can be seated. That was three for three. Super awkward. <laughs> Let me just give you two more thoughts, two more thoughts. No, number two is if you're patented, that means all of your days have purpose. All of your days, so he goes through this, and I love this. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Here's what he's asking. Man, I've messed up. I've run from my calling. I've run from my duties. I've let my relationship with my dad affect me. I wasn't the husband that I was supposed to be. Like, I've had some really dark days, and I've even wondered to myself, have I done so much that this God that loves me so much is dumb with me? Is there a limit? He says, where can I flee from your presence? And then he gets, he says, if I go to the heavens, you're there. He says, on my good days, you're there. 
If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You ever, you ever made a decision and that's really bad that you caused? Come on, we're real. It's 11 o'clock service, right? Well, let's just be honest. Sometimes it's not God smiting you. Sometimes it's because you're an idiot, right? Right? Like that. And, and don't be amen. Some of you are like, amen. Like all of us, right? Like I want to blame. When you're late for work, right, and you're blaming everybody else, it's because you didn't get up in time. Let's be honest. Just get up 15 minutes. Old. It's not God's fault. He's testing you right now. No, you're an idiot, right? That's how we are, right? And so he's saying, when I make those decisions, when, I, when I've walked away from you, when I've let myself walk into the depths and the darkness, he says, even there, somehow, you're able to make a way. You're able to take the bad of my life and use it for the good, for your glory. He says, even, even there, your hand guides me. Your right hand holds me fast. I love that. That is a position of authority. Whenever the Bible talks about the right hand, that is a position of authority in your life. He says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night all around me. I've messed up so bad, it's so dark. He says, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. See, here's the, here's, here's the thing. We don't have a hard time seeing God in the, in the good days, do we? Like, I... I can tell you there's very distinct times where I'm like, yeah, that was God. When the Mennonite church decided to give us a million dollar piece of property for, for nothing, God. When Plymouth Meeting came and gave us that church for nothing, that was God. I want more of that, God. When something breaks, when something goes wrong, when we walk in and all the power's out and none of our air conditioners is, is working out and nothing's happening, I'm like, that's not God, that's Satan, Right? But maybe it's God. Maybe it's God teaching you to rely on him. Maybe it's God showing you something in your life. Maybe it's God teaching you a little bit of patience. It might be God in every situation. And here's what happens. You not only begin, when you understand God like this, to perceive your past differently, but you'll begin to receive your present differently. You'll go, okay, here's what you did in the past. I get it. Okay, here's what you brought to me. You notice that your present is called a what? A present. This is a present to me. I'm going to stop asking you why, and I'm going to start asking you what? God, what are you trying to do in my life? God, what are you going to do through this dark time? God, what are you going to show me in this moment? I am every moment of my life is purpose. In fact, I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I love stories like this. I love stories where you see, okay, in the bad days and in the good days, God has a good plan that you can trust him in, right? And so one of my favorite examples of this um, is from church history. Now, don't tune me out, right? Some of you are like, I don't want to know church history. And I'm telling you right now, you should study church history, right? Especially if you're a Catholic. I'm just saying. I'm just telling you. Like, you should know what you believe. You should know. You should understand. I'll just give you a little summary of church history for you. Can I do that? Don't, don't check out. I'm going to put on my professor cat for a second, okay? Because I'm telling you right now, better than any movie you ever watched, any show you, you binge on, church history is crazy. It's filled with some of the, uh, the toughest, most sacrificial men and women that you will ever, ever see. Like, it is, it is crazy what normal people did to get the word of God and the church to where it is right now. And so you know Jesus died on the cross, started the church, right? Gave the church a goal, going to all the world, preach the gospel. How many of you know, even when God gives you marching orders, go do this, that we can still hijack the mission of God. We do it all the time and make it about ourselves. So that's, that's what happened. Um, they interpret, they had the Bible, you know, a couple hundred years after, after Jesus died on the cross. They had this full Bible. It was in the common hands of man, men and women like you and me. And then uh, they decided we're only going to allow Bibles in Latin. Anybody speak Latin in here? Well, neither did they back then. The only people who could speak Latin were educated priests. Seems like there was an agenda there. So around 500 AD, just a little church history for you, the Catholic Church mandated all other Bibles um, are illegal. The only Bible you can read is the Latin Bible. And oh, by the way, you'll have to come to church for us to tell you what it says. So it was in that that they invented things like purgatory and prayer to Mary 
and, and, and saints and little, little things in yards you pray to and beads and, and rosary and all this other stuff that you do. Uh, church tradition, not in the Bible. Don't get mad at me. Study your Bible. Okay? And so, and with that, you had this, not, not separation of church and state, you had the, the connection of church and state. The Roman Empire took over. The church attached itself to the Roman Empire. You had the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, it was now, you, you needed to be a Christian. You needed to get baptized. You needed to do all these things. They had these little things called the Crusades. Remember those? You ever have somebody tell you, how do you go to church and believe in a good God when the church was responsible for the Crusades? You ever have somebody tell you that? Right, maybe not, but I have. And I'll be like, guess what? They're like, what? I'm like, I, I wasn't responsible for the Crusades because I'm not a Catholic. They're like, what? I'm like, I'm a Protestant, which means that I protest. You know what a protest is? You saw all, I protest the Catholic Church. I don't think they're right. That's a whole nother sermon though, right? And so, so I, and they'll be like, what? I'll be like, it's been study, right? And so about 1500 AD, you have these people come on the scene. They're like, they're like, yo, this isn't right. It wasn't said exactly like that, but. They're like, we got to get the Bible back into the normal every man's hand. So they started to take the Bible and interpret it into common language, German and English, and all these common languages in French, right? And, and get it back into the common everyday man's hands. And so what happened is the church started to lose, the Catholic church started to lose their grip of power. So what do you do when you lose your grip of power? You begin to fight. And they began to find the men and women who were taking these Bibles and passing them out, and they began to imprison them, um, exile them, and most, most shockingly, kill them. You can study names, Martin Luther, John Calvin, one of my favorites, John Huss, they put him on a stake and they burned him alive. But oh, by the way, they used the Bibles that he had interpreted into, into his language to burn him. He prayed this prayer. I, I don't remember the exact quote, but he prayed this. He said, God, in the next 100 years, please get the Bible, it was something like this, get the Bible into everybody's hands. And then within 100 years, this little invention was, was, was made, it was called the printing press. And all, all of a sudden, the Bible started to fly off into the, into the thing. And so the Bible started to move. And so they started to just attack. It was this whole, this whole war going on. And uh, one of the guy's names that, that I love, his name was John Knox. That sounds like a, like, a, like a dude that's in a James Bond movie. And so John Knox. And, so, and John Knox was a Scottish preacher. Now, I want you to picture what you think of when you think of preachers. Think of tough guys. Right? Hands are soft. They sit behind a computer. They study and pray. Right? And so... So John Knox is, is kind of a, a soft, quiet preacher, right? And uh, the government of Scotland hated him. In fact, uh, his story goes like this. He's preaching to a full church. He's telling people the truth of the gospel. A full church. And the government marches in as he's preaching, arrests him, enslaves him, and puts him into the bottom of a ship in a galley and makes him row. So he starts to row. It's a true story. And uh, it's in that moment where he's in the bottom of that, 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 that ship that he begins to really develop a, a sincere, intimate prayer life with his God, because that's what happens a lot of times. Um, but as he's rowing and being, being whipped every, every day, what do you think happens to a person, an individual, when they're forced to do hard labor all the time, and, oh, over time for many years, as he's getting close to God spiritually, he's rowing, what do you think happens to his physical body? Yeah. They release him. He comes out jacked. Read it. He comes out jacked. And now, listen, now, not only is he spiritually closer to God than he's ever been, now he's physically ready to fight, right? And so he starts to preach again. He's not intimidated. He starts to preach again. It, he is so powerful in his second journey as a preacher that the Queen of Scotland, her name was Queen Mary, she's quoted as saying this. She's quoted as saying, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all of the enemy armies of this entire world. Why? Because he rode. All of his days had purpose. It felt like I was getting arrested, but what I was doing is getting reassigned, right? I was just getting re reassigned, and I was, just, I was just going. And you can see this all through Scripture, right? And so I'm just telling you, some of you in a moment, some of you been in a season, some of you went through something. You're like, what's the purpose of this? I don't know. I wish I could tell you. But I know, I know you have purpose. I know I know God is in control of your life. I know he's the author. I know he's the protector. I know you have an inventor. And let me just tell you one more thought that I think David would have said. Everything has a plan. Nothing is shocking God. Nothing is a surprise to God. Nothing. Like that's what he's trying to say. He goes all the way back to the beginning. He goes back to his birth. He says, uh, 
I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I, I, your thoughts for me are more than the number of sand on the shore. Why did he do all that? Well, okay, here, I think David's number one problem in his life was his struggle with his relationship with his father. I think that was a very deep wound. I think you can see it all through his life. Um, and I'll prove it to you how bad it was. So I'm not sure how old David was when the, when the prophet comes to his house to anoint the next king. God said, one of Jesse's boys is the next king. So he shows up, Samuel, he says, hey, Jesse, I heard you got some boys. He says, yeah. He's like, can you bring them out here? One of them's the next king. Could you imagine this moment? By the way, he's the most famous man in Israel at this point. I mean, he's, he's the prophet. This is, this is, this is like the, whoever the most famous person is that you know showing up to your house. Could you imagine if the most famous person in the world showed up? Let's just say Taylor Swift showed up to your house. And you were 13, 14, 15, let's be honest, 27-year-old, right? And your mom and dad are there, and you're, you're out somewhere, right? You're busy. And everybody's having dinner. You walk in, Taylor Swift's sitting there. How crappy are you going to feel? Right? So he's there. One of them's the next king. He's going through. Okay, it's probably this one. It's probably this one. It's probably this one. God says it's none of them. Samuel gets frustrated. He's like, well, who is it? So he goes, Jesse, he says, hey, do you have another, another son? And here's what Jesse is quoted as saying in Scripture, in a Hebrew. He says, I do, uh, but he's the katan. Now, I don't know if that's exactly how you say it, because it's Hebrew. But what it means, if you, if you, if you, it says, it means he's the run. Yeah, 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 I have one more, but he's the run. Could you imagine knowing that is what your dad thinks about you? So I think for his whole life, he struggled because I think if it's true, the commentary I read is true that his mom, they think, maybe passed away when she gave birth to David. And so maybe Jesse's dad resented David his entire life because you took my wife from me, right? And, and you have this runt mentality that David's number one issue would be, man, my dad didn't want me. Man, I was unplanned. I was unwanted. I was unimportant. I mean, put your un there, right? I was unloved. So what does he do? I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Somebody needs to hear that. Your works are wonderful to me. I know that full well. God, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Before my dad ever defined me, God, you were talking about me. Before anybody came up with a plan, before anybody said this about you, God, here's what you were saying about me. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. My dad is just a character in your story in my life, God. But he's not the main character. Oh, no. That's you. God, you're my author and the finisher. And then it's, I love this. I love this verse. It says, your thoughts... If I compared them, they're more than the sand on the shore. Now, I was going to bring sand up here, but it's too messy. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's too messy. But if, if you picked it up and you just picked it up, it would just, it's almost overwhelming. So when you, when you get this, it'll change your life. Nothing by accident. Nothing without purpose. Nothing without meaning. Some of you have wondered, why, why did God let this happen? Well, let me, just, let me just tell you something. Oftentimes, God will use um, misery in your life as a birthing ground for ministry. That, that's what he does. Wherever, wherever he's going to make you, he first breaks you. That, that's how God works. Some of you wondered that. But he doesn't break you without wanting to do something in your life. Like, think, think about just this vague... We have a lot of people who have struggled with alcohol in our, in our church. We're proud of that. Somebody called us the Recovery Church. That's our second name. Journey Recovery Church, right? I love that. But the, the inventors, the guys who started AA, do you think they started AA because they never struggled with alcohol? They went through a deep, dark struggle and addiction, and they found hope, and they realized, man, we went through this so that we could help other people find hope. All of my days are ordained. All of my pain has purpose. 
God has my entire life in his hands. I can trust him fully. You want to sleep good at night? Put your full trust in a sovereign, good, loving, all-knowing, all-powerful, a good God. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I need you to know this. It's one of those ones I need you to know. I need you to know you're loved. I need you to know you have someone who's been thinking about you. I need you to know you have purpose. I need you to know your life has, has a plan. I need you to know you have a creator. And it was not your parents. They were a part of the story of God, but they are not the main character. They are not the ones who define you. See, the problem with so many of us is we give the power to define to people that should not have it. We look to other people instead of looking to God. If you would just look to God, you would see his son's outstretched hands. He loves you that much that he was willing to die on a cross for your sins while you were still in your sin. Man, that he has a purpose and plan for you. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is there by accident. Nothing is too dark for him to move in. No one is too hopeless. No one carries too much shame. You're not too far gone. There's a God that's here. I love, I love if you can picture that again with Josh. The Bible says that he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's an ever-present help in a time of need. He's closer than maybe you can even conceptually understand right now. And he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. It's not religion. Please, please forget that. Religion is a list of do's and don'ts. And if you do enough of those things, then this perfect God may or may not take you into his care. That's religion. Always running, never knowing if he's satisfied. A relationship with Jesus says, I can do nothing. I can earn nothing. I can never get back to God. So God came to me through his one and only son. He died on a cross for my sins. He rose on the third day in power. He defeated both death, sin, and hell. And it's through him that I become a new person. He changes everything. He changes everything. So here's what I want to do. Somebody in this place, you struggle immensely with this. You struggle with trust. Um, you struggle with bitterness. You struggle with anger. You struggle with those big why questions. Why? Why? It haunts you. Why did this happen and why did that happen? You're asking the wrong questions. What does God want to do with me? How is God going to use that? What does he want to develop in my life? What does, he, what does he want to pull out from my heart that I didn't even know was there? God, would you, would you heal me? Would you forgive me? Would you rid me of my bitterness? God, would you fill me with peace? Would you fill me with joy? God, would you help me to look at my life as one that's filled with purpose? I have a plan. The Bible says that, God, you have plans for my life. A plan to prosper and not harm. So here's what you do as the Spirit of God is, is working on you. The Bible says that God is knocking at the door of people's hearts today. Here in Montgomeryville, he's knocking at the door of your hearts. I can't tell you how it felt for me. I'll tell you how it felt for me. And maybe it feels like that for you, but it, it felt like a burning in my chest the day that I truly understood Jesus. And I knew, I knew he was real. And all I said to him in that moment, I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't have all of my answers to my questions, but I just said, you can have my life. That's the best day of your life, by the way. You stop trying to be your own boss. You try, stop trying to be your own author, your own creator. You stop trying to make sense of things you can't even understand. And you say, you know what, God? I'm gonna give you full control of my life. Jesus Christ, be my Lord and my savior. And I promise you, that day changed everything for me. In the same way he met me many years ago, he'll meet you right here. That's why we have church. 
That's why we sing. The Bible says that God will show up. That's why we open up his word. The Bible says that he will draw people to himself. His word never returns void. His word is life and life to the full. Jesus Christ, I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to give up control, and I'm going to fully put my trust in you. If that's you, if the Lord is speaking to your heart right now, all over this house, you would say, hey, Pastor, that's me in Montgomeryville. That's me. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. Not one more second, not one more Sunday. No fear, whole lot of courage. I'm moving forward today. My life's going to be different today. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ today. If that's you all over this house, all over Montgomeryville, would you just unashamedly stick your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, pastor, that's me. I see hands over here. Is there anybody else? I see a hand over here, hand right here. Another hand. Yes. A few more hands. We're going to pray together all over our houses uh, in Montgomeryville and here. The Bible says to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. The first step was a sign of belief, a sign of faith. The second step is our confession. So repeat after me. Say, Jesus Christ, today I put my entire life in your hands. I believe in you. I know you love me because you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe in power. You rose from the dead. And it's through you that I become a brand new person. And all over this place, a simple prayer just like that. I love it because the, the relationship does not, does not rest on the power of our prayer. It rests on the power of our Savior. It's nothing pretty, nothing eloquent. Jesus Christ be my Lord and Savior. Here's the next prayer all over this house. Some of you dealing with something right now. And I just want you to let it go. I want you to give it to God. I want you to allow Him to begin to, to speak to you. I want you to give Him full trust right now. I want you to tell Him that. God, I try. I don't understand it. I'm not asking you if you understand it. I'm not asking you if you like it. Hey, listen to me. Not everything that, that, that feels, feels bad to you is bad for you. Just telling you. That's not how it works. You, you're a parent. You know that. There's some things that God has allowed to come into your life that are ultimately for your good, but you got to trust them. So God, just, God, I trust you. Father, we trust you in every area of our lives. You're trustworthy. You're good. You have everything figured out. Lord, we can rest that night knowing that. You're the author and you're the perfecter of our life. You're in control. You're our creator. You're our sustainer. You're our savior. And Lord, tonight we, we're going to lay our head on a pillow and we're going to rest. We're going to rest and know that you are in control. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done here today. In Jesus' name that we pray. Would you shout amen with me one more time? Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.